Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee. As always, I am Scott Lentz, here with my good friend and partner in spooky season movie watching, Christian Ubius. Christian, how are you on this fine October evening? Are you feeling a little extra spooked this evening? Have the ghouls and goblins been coming for you, or have you been staying safe? Well, I'm a virgin, so I think I'm good. Ah, yes. According to the the well-established rules of horror movies, you're pretty safe. So, way to announce that to the world, I suppose. But <laughs> congrats. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm good. I'm safe good. from from all sorts of killers, but none. Oh yeah, more yeah. I obvious. also do not have HIV. That also good. Also good that you don't have HIV. <laughs> But, of course, that means that you are saved from all manner of killers and slasher villains, none less so than Ghostface, the villain in today's movie, Scream. As we continue in our slasher classics blend of the month, couldn't resist the opportunity to look at some horror movies that I have, frankly, missed out on for most of my life. We started with Friday the 13th moved on to A Nightmare on Elm Street, and we're sticking with Wes Craven as we now look at Scream, which, of course, comes at an interesting time for the slasher. The genre boomed because of movies like Friday the 13th and like Nightmare on Elm Street, and it all came crashing down into the 90s with a lot of bad movies, cheap movies being made and released to video stores, direct-to-video and all that, and Scream, honestly, helped to revitalize the genre. Well, the 90s were also also gave the rise to the teen horror movie like i mean okay not rise because a lot of horror movies beforehand had been teen horror movies but the the i don't know the the casting like 20 and late 20 early 30 something as teenagers the very much so melodrama i think came out much more during this time like i know what you did last summer or some uh frick there's another one directly inspired by this movie like Directly if you inspired. Uh, if you look at it according to some of the the online sources out there this movie was greenlit because of the success of scream i have so many thoughts on scream scott i have this is i think the third or fourth time i'm watching it and i i i always show it to people well i'm i'm glad to hear that christian because previous episodes in this particular blend of the month have not gone over as well as you are not a fan of friday the 13th nor of nightmare on elm street which i made you watch for the second time in about six months so i'm glad to know i obviously i knew that you liked this movie and i'm definitely glad to know that you're happy to rewatch it because it would have been a shame if i made you watch it for the fourth time and you, you were annoyed at me for that there is this is the only horror movie franchise that I've completed. I've seen all five screen movies. I, I think I've ranked them. I think I, I our group message thing I, I sent my rankings in. I, I was going to ask because I had forgotten if you've seen the others. As I've mentioned, this is my first time seeing anything from this franchise. And it's absolutely, as you'll get once we get into the review, a movie that I a, a franchise that I'm interested in becoming more familiar with because I know it absolutely has its fans. And for a lot of franchises, you don't necessarily get that with the sequels, where usually the first movie is an absolute banger, and then the franchise gets more and more ridiculous until people just give up on it entirely. And that doesn't seem to be the case with Scream, where pretty much every movie in the in the series has its fans. Scream? I, I mean, I can, I'll give my rankings when we're done discussing it. But even, like, let's just say that scream the movie that came out this year so scream 5 basically is 
like my third favorite of the franchise. So it's like they they don't they're not really dropping in quality that much that or at all. But. Yeah, even looking at just the box office because obviously I can't attest to the quality of the movies. I've only seen one at this point. But even looking at the box office, only one of the five movies made less than a hundred million dollars at the box office. These are always successful, and they are, are obviously beloved in, in that you can release one of the weird, like, not quite a reboot, but absolutely, like, like a sequel continuing the franchise, but it's it's just called Scream. You know, you can do that with this franchise, and people still show out in droves. There was a, It was a huge hit at the beginning of this year when it came out, and like the original, obviously the newest came out at a time when it's not really horror movie season. Like it was it January or February? It came out in January. Yeah. Yeah, it came out in January, which is not really when people are looking for horror movies. Usually the horror movies that come out are just really, really bad. <laughs> the studios are just putting them in theaters because there's not a ton of competition besides more Oscar y movies or whatever Marvel movie came out in December and is continuing to be shown. And just like the original Scream, the newest one came out at an unconventional time and had a lot of success Uh, just some details about the original of course as that's what we'll be discussing here was a december 20th 1996 release so merry christmas everybody meet ghostface it was a gamble by the studios and by wes craven to put a, a horror movie out at a time when there's not usually a big horror movie out kind of gambling and betting on the fact that teens would want something scary to go see especially when they're home for the holidays and taking a break from school and obviously that paid off in spades uh the movie was made for a budget somewhere in the mid-teens 14 to 15 million and it managed to become literally the most successful slasher of all time uh by the time of it was finished with the box office it brought back over 170 million dollars and it was only surpassed by the halloween reboot that came in 2018 and if you adjust for inflation scream is still number one so a huge success there uh, of course directed by wes craven who we mentioned Helping to, I guess I wouldn't say revitalize his career, but he had had some limited successes more recently, and this is one of the biggest movies of his entire career. So huge boost to him as he's entering the later years of his life and career. Uh, Also, the debut script from Kevin Williamson, who would not only go on to write I Know What You Did Last Summer, thanks to the success of this movie, but would also work in other screen movies and even in TV. He was the creator of Dawson's Creek, which was a huge show at the end of the 90s and into the 2000s. And he's worked on a ton of other stuff over the years. Are you a a Kevin Williamson fan at all, Christian? You a Vampire Diaries guy? (laughs) Uh, no, I, I am I'm not I'm really not familiar with his career other than he was also he's been a producer involved in the development of some of the other screen movies I think he co-wrote the third one but he, this was the only one that he was like the sole writer on and he's he's since moved on to just to hold multiple projects at once yeah he I think he was a sole writer on scream 2 as well oh okay so he wrote scream 2 and then was also a credited writer on scream 4 but I mean who knows um in terms of some other little bits and bobs here, just important to mention before we get into the review. Obviously, a pretty fun cast here. It stars Nev Campbell right around. Courtney Cox. <laughs> Courtney Cox is in this movie. Courtney Cox is in this movie and actively trying to play against type because she was on Friends at this point. She's Monica. And so naturally, while her co-stars were also trying to get into movies, she chose to be in Scream. And I am grateful for that because she's really good here. Uh, You also have David Arquette, Rose McGowan, Skeet Ulrich, 
Matthew Lillard, Jamie Kennedy, Henry Winkler in a small role. Love to see him pop up. And, of course, Drew Barrymore in that iconic opening scene. Um, so, yeah, just a really fun cast. A lot of 90s fan faves here. And people who are still beloved for certain roles. Matthew Lillard was in the Scooby-Doo live-action movies. Uh, Jamie Kennedy had some goofy Matthew comedies Matthew Lillard out. was also in She's All That. He is in She's All That. Uh, Skeet Ulrich, I, I actually probably the first time I saw him was in Riverdale. <laughs> so, sure. Shout out to all you Riverdale fans out there. That show is uh, completely ridiculous, and it, it's a, I'm honestly a little bit sad I haven't continued with it <laughs> because it seems absurd. But obviously, a, a very very fun cast here. Uh, Christian, anything that you wanted to mention in terms of some of the behind the scenes details, good good key production notes before we get into our review here? Uh, I'll I'll run down the plot, but I will say that at first, Wes Craven didn't want to direct this movie because he didn't want to direct another horror movie. Because he is known for horror. He started with The Hills Have Eyes. Obviously, he created Freddy Krueger, who is one of the most iconic uh, horror villains of all time. Uh, and uh, then what he went, he's already gone meta in horror by doing Wes Craven's New Nightmare. And this is another meta horror movie. And uh, he wasn't the biggest fan of it at the beginning, but the script called to him apparently is something that he's been heard to say, and he did it and went on to direct Screams 1 through 4. And so Scream 5 was the only one of the Scream movies he hasn't directed uh, simply because he passed away, I want to say. It, it was be- 2014? It was between 2014 and 2018. 2015. I, I, yeah. 2015. And this is, I mean, yeah, it had a lasting impact. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he has helped to create a lot of really notable horror movies, not just Nightmare on Elm Street, but Last House on the Left and The Hills Have Eyes and Scream, of course. And ultimately, he did get his chance to make a movie that wasn't in the horror genre. And it will it just kills me knowing that this exists because he was he's really just a, an, a, a huge titan of American horror movies. But he also directed a movie called Music of the Heart, <laughs> which is a... A biographical, like a musical biopic about someone I've never heard of, Roberta Guaspari, played by Meryl Streep, <laughs> who founded a, a school of music in Harlem. And it was Wes Craven's only mainstream movie that wasn't a horror or a thriller, and his only movie that ever received Oscar nominations. That was uh, not a huge box office success for him, unfortunately, but he did get his chance to break away from horror later on in the 90s. So give us a rundown of the plot, Christian, and then I'll hit you with your opening question. So we open on Drew Barrymore, whatever her character's name is. Casey. And Casey. And she is home alone, and she is about to start making popcorn because she's going to fire up a scary movie. I think that she was going to watch Halloween or something along those lines. And then she gets a call. You know, you get the beep, beep, beep of the landline. Um, for a lot of the people who listen to this show, a landline is a, is, is a relic. And <laughs> she... <laughs> Someone with a creepy voice says hello, apologizes as he dialed the wrong number, and then continues to call her and just talk to her, asking increasingly probing questions, and then kills her. Uh, great. And then we... <laughs> There's a little in between those two things, but yes, he does kill her. <laughs> the, the This individual is Ghostface, who then starts to terrorize some of the other people in the town of Woodsboro, specifically Sydney Prescott, played by Neve Campbell. And this movie 
is riffing off of horror movies in general. It is a comedy and it is a horror movie, in which case you see, you know, will the characters have sex because normally only the virgins survive horror movies? Or who is the character that says they'll be right back, but in them being right back dies? And playing on the teen dynamics of the time as everyone tries to find out who has donned the ghost-faced mask and why they keep coming after Sydney herself. There's mysteries to solve, there's killers to evade, and there's horror movies to talk about almost constantly throughout the runtime of the movie. But we'll get to all of those things, Christian. The first thing that I want to ask you here as we actually do get into our review is a little bit inspired by your Letterboxd review of Scream. So I'm curious how maybe it's changed since you left it. But a little bit different from some of the questions we ask, of course, when we start things off here. But Scream is obviously a movie that is indebted to the movies that come before it. It's not only directed by Wes Craven, who is an icon of horror, but it is people in the movie are constantly referencing other horror movies. They're constantly talking about movies far more than I think American teenagers ever did, uh, whether it be now or then or before. And so because this movie is so deeply referential, not only in some of the story beats it's using, but in the jokes it tells and the sense of humor the movie has, and like you talked about, the sort of rules of the game that they all try to understand so they can survive, how approachable would you say Scream is to someone who doesn't have a huge knowledge of horror movies? Because obviously, if you miss all the references, it might start to get annoying. But I'm curious as to what you think. I think very very approachable because the first time i saw scream i hadn't seen any of the movies that it referenced and i thought that it was such a cool movie and here's why even if you haven't seen any of the horror movies here and references are coming in from everything from psycho to nightmare on elm street to halloween to friday the 13th so both of the other movies that we have talked about are referenced in this movie alongside uh, Jamie Lee Curtis as a Scream Queen, the, 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 the different tropes, you know what those tropes are. You know that if you say that you'll be back, you're not going to be back, you're going to die. You know that if you go off on your own, you're going to encounter the killer, and then when you get back to a group of people, the killer's going to be gone. It's, it's, it's kind of like embedded in society. So the genius of this movie isn't just the movies that it's riffing on. It's also riffing on how stupid those rules are. And also, this movie is incredibly funny. This movie is <laughs> so hilarious. Funny. <laughs> it is so good. And and the killer Ghostface, like, is 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 I'm not gonna spoil who the killer is yet. I will spoil spoil the killer later. Keeps getting hurt. Like, keeps crashing into doors. And falling and being kicked in the groin. Like, this is a killer who is, you know, not immortal. And it's like, you're not always facing a supernatural entity. Sometimes you're just facing someone who's trying to kill. And as as stupid as that sounds, like, the stupidness makes it a little funny, but also terrifying. That in real life, that's who you're going to encounter. He's going to fall down, but he's still going to come at you with a knife yeah i am totally with you in that i think even if you're not a huge fan of horror movies that you can enjoy scream and i'm definitely grateful that 
a lot of the movies that they talk about constantly are movies that I have now seen because of this show. <laughs> like Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, and Friday the 13th. We have all watched on the show in main episode reviews. And Halloween especially gets literally gets played in Scream. They are watching it <laughs> during one of the final scenes and talking to the characters, talking about the movie. So I, I think they do a good enough job of trying to obviously tell the in-jokes, and if you know the movies they're referencing, you'll understand them better, but also setting it up so that for somebody who is maybe new to horror movies, that like you were when the first time you saw it, that you can still enjoy it. And the actual story they tell of, of trying to figure out who Ghostface is, why Ghostface is trying to kill people, especially Sydney, that's actually compelling just in and of itself. And the the ways that they tie in Ghostface's identity to why they're chasing after Sydney, even if it's some of the reasoning is inspired by horror movies and like Kevin Williamson's script, there's enough that's not referencing other movies. It's just good writing for this movie that there's an, you can latch onto it easily. And I, I mean, I'm totally with you here. I think this is a movie that can be enjoyed by people who are not big horror movie buffs. And if you it happens to be you listeners out there, come back to it after you've checked out some of these other classics because it honestly just makes it better as you pick up on the jokes and the trivia <laughs> and the other little bits and bobs here. What, what's also cool about it is that every single Scream movie is a whodunit. It, they're all mystery movies. They're not just horror movies. And it's, it, it's like somebody always shows up as Ghostface and they have to keep figuring out who is doing it this time. Yeah, and, and, and they, they realize that that's the beauty of the formula because for Scream 5, they have a poster of all the characters and the tagline is, the killer is on this poster. It's <laughs> <That's> brilliant. <laughs> exactly. So you, you, you've already met the killer. It's not, it's not a Michael Myers who's like just a force of evil. It's not a Candyman who's an urban myth. It's not, you know the witch in the Blair Witch Project. It's not Freddy Krueger, another supernatural entity, or Mrs. Voorhees, who, you know, like, as soon as Mrs. Voorhees shows up, maybe you're not sure that she's the killer, but you know that something's off about her. So it's 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 brilliant. Yeah, the fact that the killer is ultimately a real person is definitely a pro here. And... When you think about how often the killer is represented as this, whether, whether it's something like Freddy Krueger, who's he's like a vengeful ghost, you know, or someone like Michael Myers, who is played up as just the embodiment of evil and like he can survive gunshot wounds to the chest and a fall out of a second story window. He can get up and run away to kill again another Halloween Sometimes, of course, that's exciting because you know that even if they defeat the killer this time, he will come back to haunt them again. But it makes the, like you're saying, the the thrills of Scream much more real in this in this edition of a slasher because, of course, the killer's are just a real person. And like you, like you said, there there is some deeper terror to be had there where it's not explained away by some evil ghost or ghoul. It's a real person coming after you. Something similar to I Know What You Did Last Summer, which we... Did we talk about that on one of our Halloween streaming recommendations episodes? I think I I brought that up last year. We did that when we did our exploration of genre. Yeah, yeah. 
And so even in that movie, another Kevin Williamson script, the killer is, uh, once again, a real person, not some kind of supernatural ghost or entity from beyond the grave. So it does seem to be a trope that he likes to play with, where he's not going to rely on those magical powers to keep his villain alive. He is going to rely more specifically on just plain old human psychosis, like what do you want to call it, psychology and and desire to kill or to inspire fear in someone. So just a little bit more about Scream, obviously, Christian. I think there's there's so much to enjoy, like we're talking about, whether it's the sense of humor and, and the references that the movie is making. I'm curious about just a little bit more nuance from you on the tone itself, because I'll be honest, I... I didn't really mind this, but I didn't really find Scream particularly scary. I would definitely say the hor- the horror aspect didn't work for me as much as the comedy did. And the horror to me here is, is less about, you know, scares and making you jump up in your seat, but more just about the shock of the violence. Because, of course, Ghostface is using usually using a knife to kill his victims, and it gets bloody and gross. But I'm curious what you think about particularly the the scares, but also just the balance with the comedy, which I know you said you already said it works for you, but just if you want to get into more detail. So Scream to me isn't isn't scary. No, it's 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 not. And I guess it's a better way of saying that I I don't care that it's not scary because I mean even when I when you look at quote unquote scary movies nowadays, they're not really scary for you. And sometimes when the kills aren't getting to you, you have nothing else. But here, yeah, you're not, you know, going to be... These are prolonged kill scenes. Because, again, Ghostface is shown to be mortal. The, his victims are fighting back. Like, Ghostface gets hurt. But it's it's not about how scarily he's killing them. It's about the ridiculousness of the situation. And that's what's working for me because it's not, it's, it's using horror to play into, this is what all scary movies have been doing throughout the entirety of time. Isn't that how, doesn't that look weird? Even the opening scene with Drew Barrymore as Casey, where, where, you know, she's our first victim. That's a riff off of Psycho. That's a direct riff off of Psycho. Right. She was played up as being a part of the cast. Obviously, she's a movie star, and she was very much a known quantity at the time. And they played up the fact that Drew Barrymore was in the movie, and she is killed before any of the major characters are introduced. It's it, Obviously, it's a little bit spoilery, I suppose, but it's not really a shock anymore because we know it's what it's famous for is for killing off Drew Barrymore. Like you said, just like Psycho. Uh, where it kills off its female lead about halfway through the movie, and then you have to continue on the journey. I will say that that scene in and of itself is probably one of the the best executed scary sequences. And maybe you'll call it more tense than scary, but it's referencing another movie that I haven't seen, I'm not really familiar with, but When a Stranger Calls, which is a similar horror concept about a, a... babysitter receiving these frightening phone calls and that the buildup of that fear because at first it does just seem like kind of a you know random wrong number phone call maybe some guy just calling her back to chat her up he asks hey do you have a boyfriend you know those those kinds of questions and the way that craven in his direction and williamson in his scripting build up 
the fear and the performance that Drew Barrymore gives. I will say that that scene is very well executed and probably the peak of the scares in the movie, but it really does set a strong tone, both in its references to other movies. They flat out talk about like who's the killer in Friday the 13th. You know, they ask that question, but also being scary and, and gruesome and gross. And when, uh, I don't know if you felt this, the ending to this movie is very satisfying. When the well, or maybe be maybe not the ending itself, though I love the ending. But prior to it, when Ghostface is finally revealed, and the motives behind Ghostface are revealed, it showed that the journey they had taken us on in discovering everything was worth it. I'm like, oh wow, the the pieces are falling into place. I understand where the tropes went. I like, yeah, amazing. Wow, what are they? Where are they going to go from here? And I don't always get that, you know, from a horror movie. And, and look, the revelation of who Freddy Krueger is from whatever the main person from uh, Nightmare on Elm Street's mom is of how he used to be like a child killer. That doesn't get me. That doesn't, I don't care. <laughs> I don't know if you cared that he was a child killer, but here. It's, yeah, the, it's one of those like biographical details. You got to make him gruesome and evil. And so, yeah, he killed kids and then they they did away with him but it's not that fact in of itself like you said it's it's sort of just said it's not necessarily like integral to who he is aside from the fact that he's burned and think you know and his character design but when we when we look up the relationship between here between sydney and her boyfriend and her best friend and her best friend's boyfriend and randy who works at the video store and he's very much the running commentary throughout this movie of where the movie's gonna go from here yeah uh and courtney cox and the cameraman and dewey you're like what is going on why are these people talking the way they are why is everything so stupid and then you get to oh this this makes sense who the killer is makes sense as to why he's falling around a lot uh, and, and who the killer is and his motivations are chilling. When, when when we find out why Ghostface is killing, that's about as hardcore as you can get. Yeah, absolutely. And and we will talk about that because I want to unpack it a little bit. So we'll save some spoilers for the end of our, our, our conversation here. Uh, I, I just got to say, there's just a ridiculous amount of movies referenced in this. I kept track while we were, I was watching the movie. And here is every movie, to the best of my knowledge, that gets mentioned. Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, The Exorcist, Basic Instinct, All the Right Moves, shout out to Tom Cruise not being in a horror movie, Candyman, The Howling, with a bonus because somebody refers to it as the werewolf movie with E.T.'s mom in it, so also E.T. Prom Night Revisited, a movie called Millennium, I think. I'm not sure if they specifically mentioned it, but there is a movie called Millennium. The Town that Dreaded Sundown, Hellraiser, I Spit on Your Grave, which is a joke called, they say, I Spit on Your Garage, but they're referencing that movie. Silence of the Lambs, Psycho, and Carrie, at least, which is what, 16 movies that I just, 17 movies that I just rattled off. They are constantly talking about movies, referencing how people act people in the movie are acting based on these other movies that they have as touch points randy like you said works at a video store and starts rattling off the rules of horror movies when they're trying to figure out 
you know, why Michael Myers is killing the people in the movie that they're watching at the party or why Ghostface is targeting these people in particular. And there's just an absurd amount of other references just throughout the dialogue, even if it's not specifically related to movies, whether it's the fact that Sydney's boyfriend is Billy Loomis, like Dr. Loomis from Halloween. They talk about having an R-rated relationship or ooh, maybe just a PG-13 relationship. Uh, they're, they're talking about the, like, Ghostface asks people trivia questions based on horror movies to see if they'll survive or not. Frankenstein is played on a TV at the video store. There's a joke where someone says, oh, you sound like somebody from one of those Wes Carpenter movies. Shout out to Wes Craven and John Carpenter. Just, like, constantly, constantly talking about movies. And obviously, it adds to your enjoyment if you're familiar with a lot of the references. And I'm sure there's even things that flew over my head just because I have not seen all of the things that are being referenced here. But there's so much that I caught, and it makes for such a funny experience at times, too. I am curious if you have any favorite, like, just comedic moments, whether it's individual jokes or scenes that are more comedic in nature. Because I was writing down some of these lines that were just hilarious to me. This isn't a line, but Ghostface runs really funny. Like both <laughs> both hands are stretched out, and he's like trying. <laughs> yeah, not the most convenient costume to run in, I'm sure. <laughs> that big like black cloak, I guess you would call it, that stretches down to their feet. Also, there's there's some hilarious kills in this movie. The 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 garage door kill. Oh yes, that one <laughs> fantastic. That one is particularly gruesome, especially because although it is spurred on by Ghostface and accomplished by Ghostface, there is very little uh, stabbing involved. And it, it, there's <laughs> even a moment where after the person has died due to the use of the garage door, Ghostface kind of looks on as like not anything audible, but has like a huh. Okay. <laughs> you can see the the you know recognition on his face. I, I just gotta say, Dewey, who's David Arquette's character, he's the brother of Sydney's best friend Tatum, and he is a sheriff's deputy, so he's trying to protect the girls, of course, from this this violent character. But he gets a ton of great lines. <laughs> and one of my favorites is when he's talking to Tatum earlier on and she says something sarcastic to him and he says hey what did mom tell you when i wear this badge you treat me like a man of the law which is <laughs> just like just a flat out funny line from kevin williamson and again a, a point to the fact that you don't need to be steeped in horror movies to get it like he's he's just written a good script and there's plenty to laugh at and enjoy outside of all of these other references here uh, is there any point where you felt like it was just like an overload? Because for me, I was totally happy with it. But I know one of the common criticisms of Scream is that it gets too referential and it almost grates on you, especially if you're not a fan of these movies. So I'm curious, if I don't know if you have any opinions on that. It doesn't because it's entertaining and has a good plot. Now, here's the thing. Scary movie, which is the spoof movie. The spoof movie of basically it's spoofing Scream, which is a spoof. Is yeah, is, I, I wouldn't call Scream a spoof, just because even though it's even though it's like comedic, okay. it's more of like satirizing the genre, less so than being as goofy as scary movie is. Fine, but you can't really you can't really spoof a satire. It it's it doesn't make sense. And and 
scary movie I'm not a fan of. It, 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 that to me is too referential. And so it's it's weird because I guess it just depends. And I think that this is one of the few genres where I'm okay with all of the references. Because I think all of us at this point have seen way too many rom-coms where they're like, this is the part where the girl asks the boy or where the boy asks the girl. And I'm like, shut up. I get it. You're a romance movie. Get on with it. Kiss her or whatever. I don't know. Get on the plane and leave. I don't care. But Ever this see, isn't it romantic with Rebel Wilson where her character gets transported into a rom-com. <laughs> I was thinking about that movie as I said it. Yeah. And so it's just, I, I don't know. It's, it's, Almost like it's using that to further its plot instead of just dropping it in. If it that was just, a, yeah. yeah, that's a good point. And and I will say one thing I thought about and why it worked for me is even something similar to what's going on in the Marvel Cinematic Universe these days with She-Hulk just ending a little bit prior to this episode's release. And there is a moment I won't spoil if you're still catching up in the end, but. It engages in what's called lampshading, which is where a movie tries to address its criticisms head on or, you know, TV show. So the character might say something like, oh, that's that's pretty convenient. Don't just say it when you think when. Yeah, if it is convenient, like maybe it is just screenwriting that's it couldn't come out with something wittier. And so they're just trying to have the characters address it. And sometimes it can be funny, but I would say that Scream isn't just lampshading all of the the slasher tropes that it's using. It's actually woven into the story. And sure, there's a lot of good jokes and you laugh when somebody like Randy talks about the rules of the slasher and how it's how virgins are always the one who survives, but there's also some actually resolution when it comes when we come to find out who Ghostface is that plays into these themes. And we have the person who's revealed specifically referencing the role of movies in their choice to do what they've done and it's a little bit it's not like it's the deepest most profound thing that's ever been said in a film but it is a lot deeper than just simple joking and lampshading and saying haha isn't it funny that i am a slasher villain like these movies we've been talking about the whole time it is actually woven into the plot and the themes of the movie like you've talked about so I, I I'm glad to hear that we're on the same page with the reference. All right, let's 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 spoil this ending. Yeah, so let's spoil this ending here. So if you're like me, hadn't seen Scream yet, give us a pause, go check it out. We would both strongly recommend it, and come back and listen to it. So final warning: three, two, one. Christian, who's Ghostface? It's Billy Loomis, and and who's Matthew Lillard's character's name again? Stu. It's it's Billy and Stu, and. It's genius on so many levels. One, you're expecting one killer. And it's two. It's genius. And it's, <laughs> and it's two killers. The next reason why, they asked them, what was their motive? And they said, Do, did we need a motive? Sometimes it's scarier when there's no motive. And that's so true. They don't have a motive. They're just killing people. Well, to be fair, Billy has a motive. Stu doesn't have one that's specifically said. No, no, no. I, I think he said that as a joke. I think when Billy gave his motive, he said it as a joke because, I, I mean, the, 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 the subcontext is that he was um, sleeping with her mom. No, his, the, what the story is, is Sydney's mom, we, we didn't mention this, but Sydney's mom has died and 
she was raped and murdered a year ago. And Sydney is sort of dealing with the trauma of that now a year on. And what Billy reveals to us in this scene that I took at face value, at least, is that a lot of people didn't necessarily believe that her mom was fully innocent and maybe she was, you know, the person who was arrested was framed because she had developed a bit of a reputation for sleeping around. And Billy has talked throughout the movie about how his mother walked out on the family, walked out on him and his dad. And the idea is that she, her mom, was sleeping with Billy's dad, which is why Billy's mom walked out. I don't think so. And this is the only reason why. I think that because Sydney says he slept with my mom and then killed her. I'm. I think he said that as a joke. I think that he was one of the people who slept with Sydney's mom. I mean, this is a. It doesn't really change anything, but yeah, I, I would. It kind of does actually. It it makes it so that he doesn't really have a motive. He's just someone who slept with, with Sydney's mom. Also, if you keep watching the Scream series, it it's, yeah. Like it, it, it's it's not like touched on again, but it's like referenced. Okay. Well, even so, the reason I I dug the fact that Billy did have that personal connection is because so often, as we've talked about, slashers like the villain in slasher movies are punishing sexually promiscuous college students, teenagers, camp counselors, whoever, and it's always the virgin, like we learn, who survives, like Laurie Strode in Halloween. And the fact that their first act is to punish this ostensibly sexually promiscuous woman, Sydney's mother. Then, late in the movie, Billy and Sydney finally have a moment where they consummate their relationship and have sex after Sydney was hesitant at first and, and was more conservative in her, in her desires. It's, of course, this massive betrayal. It, it's gross, honestly, in that Billy makes her do this and then plans to have her killed. It's horrible. And, of, of course, he has to fulfill the rules of a slasher movie where the person murdered can't be a virgin, you know? Like, the virgin has to survive. And so I found it satisfying in that regard and that he is trying to connect the mother's murder a year on with that. But also, the killers are also usually people with problems. Like in Psycho, um, the Norman Bates famously has mommy issues, which I, I honestly still haven't seen Psycho. That's a, a big blind spot for me, but he is very, very well known for his mommy issues. And you have movies like Friday the 13th, where Mrs. Voorhees is killing for Jason, and he then returns supernaturally to kill later on. And Michael Myers had this family trauma. He watched his sister having sex and killed her for it when, she was, when he was a child. And so Billy, of course, takes it upon himself to deal with his own mommy and daddy issues with violence because his mother walked out on him and his father cheated on her with Sydney's mother. And so I took that to be an honest admission of, of what his motive is. And Stu still gets to be the guy without a motive because he makes some crack about peer pressure is why he did it. We don't really know why he decided to go along with Billy and all of this. The thing is, once you find out that both of them are the killers, the rest of the movie makes sense. The kills make sense. How they, um, and and what was it? I mean, our favorite podcast mentioned this when they did, when they, when they talked about this movie, it's like, it kind of looks like a teenage boy is running around in a costume. Yeah. And that's, that's what it is. That's exactly what it is. And so 
I, I don't know. There's like a genius in knowing how to reveal that and therefore how to position all of the kills. Because Ghostface isn't that smart, but also these kids are psychotic. Oh, the- insane. And that's something they specifically say. The, the line about movies that I mentioned a little bit earlier where Billy says, don't blame the movies for this. Movies don't create psychopaths. They make them more creative, which is an absolutely killer line from Kevin Williamson. Pun not intended, I suppose. But absolutely killer line. And... It, it, it's funny because, of course, these people are so steeped in the world of horror movies and of slashers, and most of them are fairly normal and well-adjusted <laughs> for the most part. But, of course, the people who were psychotic enough to go on a murder spree, uh, of course, were inspired by the movies. And they, the Ghostface persona uses all of these different tropes, whether it's the phone calls, like in When a Stranger Calls, whether it's targeting people who are sexually promiscuous or... It's like you said, using or like we didn't say this yet, but using fake blood because, uh, of course, Billy fakes his own death. So using fake blood like in Carrie, which is one thing mentioned, they, they take all these little bits from other movies. And so that's another just moment where it's all woven into the story of the movie. It's not just jokes thrown in. It's actually part of what's the story being told. It's super satisfying when they reveal it all at the end. Is there anything else left to say about this movie? I mean, we could keep going on. Like, there, there's it. It'd be fun to talk more specifically about some of the performances. I think most of the cast is really great here. I will say, I wasn't the biggest fan of a couple of the performances in particular. I felt like Rose McGowan maybe wasn't turning in her her best A plus work here in the movie. But of course, she has an encounter with a garage door for another spoiler warning there that takes her out of the movie. I I, I don't know. What do you make of at least the acting? It feels ref- self-referential. It feels meta. The person who's putting in the most work here is is Sydney. I mean, yeah. Neff Campbell is, is... Neff Campbell's great as Sydney Prescott. Fantastic, but everyone around her is a doofus. <laughs> and I think that's kind of cool. I, well, actually, no. Ski Ulrich is putting in a very good performance. But everyone yeah, around yeah. those two is a doofus and an idiot. And that's hilarious because one of the things that she says early on is how... Like, the stupid girl being terrorized in a horror movie decides to run up the stairs instead of out the front door. Yeah, which, of course, there there's also a moment, like, they're talking about these rules of horror movies, like, don't go follow the scary sound, where Sydney mentions the fact that she doesn't like horror movies, and Ghostface is on the phone with her, and he's like, I'm on your front porch, and she goes out there, just, like, calling him on his bluff, which, if you've seen horror movies, you know you should not do that. Don't, don't call the killer on their bluff protect yourself but she of course ignores it because she's not schooled in the ways of horror movies i guess randy hasn't had the the low the low down primer with her in terms of the rules of slashers um other than the acting i, I will just say i think wes craven is such an excellent director here and aside from the fact that i'm sure he brought things to it whether it was references to his own movies he cameos here as a janitor dressed up as freddy krueger which is just fabulous um, but aside from what he brought to it behind the scenes and added into it, I just love the way this movie is shot from occasionally using those point of view shots we've talked about before to um, swooping around and, and making these houses because so much of this is shot inside houses. Uh, it's just shot really, really well and, and using the, the negative space that horror is so famous for at times and making these chases with Ghostface so engaging get your heart pumping as you you know want the person to survive but no they probably won't it's just such a well-directed movie too and aside from the fact that it's a great you know piece of writing from kevin williamson 
Oh, fantastic script. Yeah. Great directing. Good yeah. performances. Everyone knows what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely here. So it sounds like Scream is a movie both of us would heartily recommend. And nice watch it case. with friends also. Yeah, I I very much wish that I could have watched this with friends, although it's still enjoyable to watch with your dogs, which is what I did. Um, this is streaming on Paramount Plus if you are a Paramount Plus user or free trial abuser. And I'm not sure. I assume this, some of the sequels, at least, are streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I did not check. I think all of them are streaming on Paramount+, Plus right now. Yeah, so there you go. Go check out Paramount+. Plus. Watch you some Scream movies. There's still, there's still a few days left here in October. you still got time. Halloween is still forthcoming. Maybe you can fire up Scream with some friends and check it out. It's also available, of course, wherever you want to rent movies. Feel free to do that. I, I rent it from Amazon because that's, uh, that's what I do. And now, of course, Christian, hopefully those who wanted to avoid spoilers are back because we, of course, have to wrap up our blend of the month because Scream wraps up our slasher classics here in October. And we have a few awards that we have to give out as we do enjoy doing at the end of our blends here. So one of the key things, a little bit simple here with these movies here, we'll have Best Picture, of course, and it sounds like for both of us that movie is Scream. That's that's my guess. I'm <laughs> just going to spoil it right away. Uh, best Pictures, 100% Scream. Yeah, I, I honestly would say Nightmare on Elm Street um, gives me a run for – or gives Scream a run for its money in my opinion. I think that is a another very well-done Craven movie. And there are some people who find that just a flat-out masterpiece, like one of the greatest horror movies ever made. But uh, at least on first watch for both of these movies, Scream does edge it out for me. So we know that Best Picture award. I do just want to know, Christian, across these movies, what was your favorite – or best, whatever you call it, best scare and best individual kill. Okay, so none of these three movies are particularly scary to me. and Totally fair. I will say, though, do you want me to give my answer to both or just one? To both, because I think that the scares can be different from the kills, because yes. there's maybe a kill that's not particularly scary, but it still gets you to wince and go like, oh, that was awful, that was amazing. <laughs> kind of what you're what you're sometimes chasing down when you're going to watch a slasher movie like this. You kind of want to see some doofus teens get murdered in terrible ways. Best kill, to me the best kill does come from Friday the 13th, when the blood drops on kevin bacon's face and then when he checks his eye he gets stabbed from underneath great misdirection i i 100 percent agree with you except that i actually have it as my best scare moment it's probably one of the moments from these three movies that got me to actually jump the most and friday the 13th like i said i watched it it's the only one that i watched like truly at night with the lights off it, it got under my skin a little bit I, I will say. So that was my best scare moment. So did you have a different scare that you were going to choose? Because I had a, a different kill in mind. So my best scare does come from Scream. It is when... It's when Casey... So Drew Barrymore's character is on the phone with Ghostface. And he asks her whether he is in... Or came in from the front door or the back door. And then a chair gets thrown through the glass door that leads to the patio. Or that leads to the to the backyard. When that chair goes in and the glass scatters everywhere, I'm like, oh, frick. 
And I will say, I, I, I love that moment. It's, it, you don't see it coming the first time. And every other time you see it, ever since you saw it coming, you like cheer it on. So I, I, that, that would, I would say is my best scare. Yeah. I, I can't blame you there. Like I said, that whole scene is great. And it's pretty much the longest extended, truly scary sequence in Scream. And that jump scare totally works. I'm going to, for my best kill category, I'm actually going to go from A Nightmare on Elm Street. And I just kind of can't deny the, the whatever you want to call it, the blood eruption, the blood fountain <laughs> of, uh, of poor Glenn, Johnny Depp's screen debut, meeting his grisly end at the hands of Freddy Krueger as his bed is turned into a portal to who knows where. Not hell, it's to some sort of crazy evil ghost blender where <laughs> Freddy Krueger grinds him up and just this eruption of blood comes spewing out of his room it is disgusting and in a movie that i was really satisfied with just the creativity on display where with such a small budget craven creates this great atmosphere with awesome sets and costumes and different types of you know creative ways of using dreams to get at these these poor poor teenagers that particular kill is it's one of the most iconic moments from that movie and i think that status is totally deserved so that was my best kill even though i agree that kevin bacon moment in front of the 13th that is number two in that category and the best scare for me as well my 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 second favorite kill was when Tayton gets stuck in the garage door. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's so good. Fantastic. It's one. Of, it's absolutely one of those moments where you start talking to the screen and you're like, "What are you doing? Trying to escape through the donkey door, <laughs> like the cat door, or whatever it actually is." Oh man, so good, so good. Well, Christian, with that, that does wrap up our slasher classics blend of the month. I have to say, I know you don't like the first two movies that we discussed, but I am satisfied. I, I wasn't the biggest fan of Friday the 13th, but I really liked Nightmare and I loved Scream. So I'm glad to have crossed all three of these movies off my watch list. Have you made it to any uh, Friday or Nightmare sequels? Have you given them a try? Because, of course, they spawned big fat franchises of their own. Nope. I mean, I might watch the second Friday the 13th movie. I might watch. I honestly like I'm, I'm not opposed to giving them a try. I mean, I'm not a fan of the first Halloween, but I've seen ha the reboot and Halloween Kills. Halloween Kills is, is truly is, is is terrible, but Halloween Ends is coming out, and I'm like, you know what? Why not? Let's give it... They're, they're, they try to engage the audience, and even when they're awful, I kind of like that they're trying to engage the audience. So that's, that's my thing. With Friday the 13th, too, it seems like a lot of... Like, for fans of that franchise... The first one is usually not even considered among the best. <laughs> it's Jason Voorhees becomes the iconic killer from that franchise, and he is not in the first movie. And so a lot of people love different movies there. So who knows? Maybe it'll work better for you. I checked out Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, which is uh, lives in its own form of infamy, which we don't need to necessarily get into on, on this wrapping up episode. But definitely worth checking out if you were a fan of that movie too there's a bunch of them streaming on hbo max not all of them unfortunately but if you need a little more freddy krueger in your life i would recommend you check out part two so with that christian normally this is the part of the month where we talk about the bonus episode what we're doing next whether that would be a top five list or a streaming recommendations episode and this would seem to be a good opportunity to talk about some more horror movies or some slashers. But in fact, we're not going to do that at all <laughs> because there is a big 
fat rom-com coming to theaters when this episode is released or, or at least around the release of this episode and that is ticket to paradise with george clooney and julia roberts caitlin deaver also there as their daughter in the movie and i really when i was trying to plan october was really considering finding a way to do a focus on those two just because ticket to paradise is their big um maybe not return to the screen because they've acted together in recent years but it's bringing back a genre that has not had a ton of success in movies recently a lot of streaming movies that have done well but no real big box office for the rom-com genre and it's a movie that even though it's not yet released we're recording this on the 18th so before it's come out in the usa and wide release that has already made quite a bit of money overseas and internationally and it seems like it's on pace to really make a, a nice chunk of change here late in the year boldly coming out in october near halloween when people especially movie fans are thinking about horror movies so in recognition of one of my uh, i mean a couple of my favorite movie stars we're going to look at just their collaborations together so if you are a fan of theirs you are probably familiar with these movies but they perhaps most famously appeared in oceans 11 and 12 together as danny ocean and his long-lost love tess but they also made a couple of other movies together, including Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, which Clooney actually directed and both of them acted in. And Clooney produced August Osage County, which Julia Roberts was in. We won't, I mean, I'm not going to watch that. I'm not going to cover it here. I'm more interested in their acting performances together. Uh, but most recently, they made a movie called Money Monster that, frankly, was a bit of a bomb and, and did not work. And so I'm curious to check it out and see why that was. And then Ticket to Paradise, of course, comes out as this episode is dropping so we will check that out and bring you our thoughts next week along with some general Clooney and Roberts talk so Christian any any initial feelings on this episode idea here no I just don't know how many movies I should catch up with <laughs> I mean I mean we have both seen Ocean's 11 have you seen Ocean's 12 no I have not there is I know you weren't the biggest fan of Ocean's 11 and a lot of people find Ocean's 12 not good. I would strongly disagree. But um, I would recommend you at least check out Ocean's 12 because there is a, a gloriously uh, insane Julia Roberts scene in that movie. But I mean I I would encourage you to check out some of these other movies as we discuss them. The only one I would really want you to see is Ticket to Paradise just so we can talk about the new release. So do your best, bud. I'll be doing my Julia and George homework. And we'll, we'll discuss the two of them next week. And until then, that is our show, folks. So thank you for sticking with us, for surviving Ghostface and Mrs. Voorhees and Freddy Krueger. You've stuck with us, and we hope you've had as much fun as we have looking at these movies. Uh, of course, there are a number of different things you can do to support the show. Firstly, we do just greatly appreciate you listening, of course, if you're at this point in the episode. And one of the things you can, of course, do is give us a subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if applicable, leave us a rating and a review. Helps us reach new listeners on those different podcatchers. And we, of course, love to shout out those reviews here live on the show. You can also send us an email to cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. Would love to get some listener feedback just because we, frankly, love to know what you guys are enjoying about the show. It helps us make episodes you want to listen to, helps us get good ideas, and we have taken listener ideas under consideration before. We did a month of magic movies, thanks to listener Paul Gonzalez. We've invited other folks on, like listener Braxton Cody. 
and have plenty of friends of the show who have appeared before too. So would love to know your thoughts. If there's a slasher movie that you think is a classic that we should check out, or if you have an idea for November or December or another month in the future, would love to know it. Again, that's cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow myself and the show on Twitter, Christian on Instagram, and both of us on Letterboxd, where we are regularly rating and reviewing the things that we are watching. Christian, any final thoughts for the folks listening along at home? No. Just a just a no. Just a no. No, no movies you want to reference real quick, like Ghostface does. Movies I want to reference real quick. Well, have you seen the trailer for the Banshees of Annie Sharon? I actually haven't watched it yet. You haven't seen the trailer for it? I mean, I'm not a big trailer person necessarily. What's wrong not, with you? Not a lot, whole lot, Christian. That's even yet. you don't believe that. Uh, All right. But I will go to a movie (laughs) and eventually see that trailer, and then I'll go see it when it comes out. (laughs) Bro, it comes out in two days. Banshees comes out this Friday with Ticket to Paradise? Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's all the better that I haven't seen the trailer. I'm coming fresh. So don't worry about me, Brendan and and Martin and Colin. I'm ready for your very Irish movie. (laughs) And folks, until next time... He's Christian. I'm Scott. We're hanging with George and Julia next week, and this has been the Cinema Drip Podcast.